If you're standing, uh, let me uh, ask you to remain uh, standing for just a moment more while we read from 1 Thessalonians. I'm just going to read from verse 9 to, to verse 16. Uh, we're looking at verses 14 to 16, but let me read a little bit more of the context. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, down to verse 16. <clears throat> By the Spirit, Paul writes, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers." For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last." God's own word. Please do have a seat. <clears throat> uh, young people, uh, probably many of you, if not most of you, or all of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you seen the movie? Um, in it, uh, the four Pavinci uh, children uh, are captured and go into, uh, or drawn into the land of Narnia, I should say. Um, and the first one to, to enter the land of Narnia is Lucy. And Lucy goes in through the wardrobe and she meets Mr. Tumnus and she's excited about uh, Narnia and the wonderful things she's seen there. Uh, and her brother Edmund follows her, sneaks in. Now when Lucy comes out, she is so excited uh, about Narnia and Mr. Tumnus and everything that she tries to tell her older brother and sister, Susan and Peter. And they think that she's fooling. So she appeals to Edmund. And she says, Edmund, tell him. Tell him that this was true. And Edmund says, you know how little kids are. They make up these stories. She just imagined this. He lies. He had seen everything she had seen, or most of what she had seen, uh, and he lies about being there. Now, if you want to tell somebody the truth and you expect a friend to back you up and to say, yeah, that's true, and they lie and say, no, it's not true. You just made that up. That's terrible. But suppose you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus and somebody you want to back you up to say, yes, let me tell you about Jesus. And they join you and they lie and say, I don't know, that's Jesus is all that made up stuff. So 
when we hear what's happening to these people in Thessalonica, the people who should have said yes to the story of Jesus are not doing that. So we're going to find out about that. So let's pray that God will help us be courageous and brave and be ready to suffer sometimes by telling people the truth about Jesus. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you'll bless this morning or this afternoon as we meet together that we'd be able to um, we'd be able to turn to your word, focus on your word, think about your word, and have by your spirit your word planted in our hearts. Thank you that you'll do this because it's your delight to have your people know more about your son. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the stunning images that you may have seen this week is of a church in Chile, maybe in Santiago, burning. Anybody see that? It's a very dramatic. There is a, a church steeple and it's engulfed in flame. And the reason that was happening is because there were riots in the city. And uh, people were looking at the church as an oppressor. Well, we haven't had some of that, but we've had maybe a little bit of taste of that in our own country, haven't we? Um, certainly Catholic churches have been under siege. Uh, people have been throwing uh, things at uh, statues of Jesus and uh, defacing statues of Mary and so forth, which they shouldn't have, but shouldn't be done anyway. Um, in one of the bonfires they had in Portland, people are pitching on American flags and they're pitching on Bibles too. Now, why are they doing that? They're doing that in part because they see Christianity as an oppressor religion. You know, critical race theory uh, that is very popular among the Antifa folks uh, is that there are oppressors and oppressed and Christianity is an oppressor. Well, we're going to see here in Thessalonica something about the, the battle. Now, the battle that's going on here is, is going back a long ways. The battle actually begins in the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Genesis 3.15, where God says to the serpent, to Satan, he says, I will send the seed of the woman and he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent that culminates in Jesus and the, and the cross, um, that battle is carried out in our lives and in this world. In the book of Revelation, I love this passage in Revelation 12, verse 17, where God is trying to... Uh, or Jesus is describing the history of the world in very short form. And um, the dragon, the old serpent, Satan, uh, the deceiver, is uh, frustrated because he can't kill Christ. He tries to, but he can't kill Christ. Christ rises and uh, is exalted. Uh, so he goes to hunt down those who bear the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments. That's us. We're in the midst of a war. 
because the enemy of the church is still active. And that's what we see here in Thessalonica. Now, you know all about this by now, I think. I imagine anyway, you do. In verses 14 to 16, we're going to see suffering, suffering that's near, near at hand and far off, and then suffering that has uh, a cause, and then suffering that ends in two different ways. So we're going to look at suffering near and far off, suffering's cause, and then suffering that ends in two different ways. Now, of course, every time we look at a passage of Scripture, we, we look at the, the context because we have to see why God put this passage in this place and why it comes to us, of course. The Christians there in Thessalonica had, had come from a pagan culture. They had turned from idols to serve the living God. It says that back in chapter 1. Think about what that meant. They're used to going to the pagan temples. Gone Zeus. Gone Aphrodite. Gone Mercury. All the gods of the Greek pantheon are just dismissed, put away. You're now at odds with your whole culture. You're saying things that seem fantastic to people because you're talking about a Jewish carpenter who was crucified by the Romans and who was the son of God come to earth in the human form, suffering, dying, and being resurrected. And that sounds so fantastic. Maybe it's easier to believe in the Greek pantheon. But no, these people have begun to believe in the Jesus of the scriptures. Greece is the place of Plato and Aristotle, Socrates. All the philosophers are, are put aside because now you have a word from God, the word of God that's being preached that they believe. Chapter 2, verse 13, they believe what's preached about Jesus. And so into that comes this knowledge of suffering that comes because they've changed their world view. They've changed the system of how they think. And that's what should be happening to us, shouldn't it? That we think differently than we did before we knew Jesus. That we see the world through different eyes. And everything is mediated now by the word of God and the gospel. So these things change how we look, how we think about things. Now, this word suffering has as its root in Greek the word pasco, and it came into our language as the word passion. Now, we think of passion in terms of romance and stuff, but passion is used of, of any uh, emotional giving. And so there's, there's an emotional investment. And so these, these Christians are now suffering. And their suffering is connected to the suffering of others. 
There are others who have suffered. They're suffering from their own tribe. You see that? You're suffering at the hands of your fellow countrymen. You became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. These people in Thessalonica may have they may have been stirred up by Jewish believers. We know that, um, or Jew, no, Jewish non-believers. Um, we know that some of the people from Philippi uh, followed Paul, and uh, some of the ones from Thessalonica followed Paul to Berea. So Paul was being trailed around by people from one city to another. So the Jews were, were jealous. Uh, the Gentiles were being converted. This stirred things up, and so the city was in an uproar. Paul, Silas, and Timothy have to leave. They have to go back uh, and, and get out of town, and they go to Berea at this point. Uh, but the Christians there are experiencing suffering because of their own countrymen. And then Paul t- ties it into the sufferings of the, the, uh, the believers in Judea. And, and you can just go through the book of Acts, and you can see the suffering of them. You've got James killed. You've got Stephen killed. You've got Peter almost killed. Um, the believers are being scattered by suffering. Uh, so suffering is, is part of what the, the, the church experienced both uh, in Judea and any place it was planted and any place today. You know, we think about um, these things, you know, Bibles being burned perhaps in churches. Um, but you know what? In Nigeria, the Fulani uh, tribes people uh, are dedicated Muslims. And you know what they do? They come in and kill men, women, and children and burn down their houses if they're Christians. You know, if you're an evangelist in parts of India, you are burned alive in your car. That's what happened to some Australian missionaries a few years ago. And even today, native missionaries in in many parts of India are persecuted. So suffering is part of what the church is experiencing. And and why is this? Why is this happening? Well, there's a unity of the faith, a unity of union with Christ, and that's going to lead to a union, unity of suffering. Because when we're united to Christ, we're going to suffer because we're identified with him. We're going to have to think about that. that that's suffering's cause. Now, Christians sometimes justifiably are suffering. Sometimes you know that we're hypocritical and self-righteous. Sometimes we're proud, we're self-centered, we're unloving. Sometimes we're as greedy as anybody. And sometimes Christians are caught up in the world's materialism. It's politics, particularly this season, and it's pleasures. So there are criticisms that are warranted. But Scripture tells us not to do that. This is, this is what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 4. But let none, uh, none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Christian suffering in this world comes because we've changed identities. You know, identity politics is a big thing today, isn't it? That's how you appeal to people. You tell, tell them you belong to this group or this group or this group. People think in terms of tribes. This is my tribe. Everybody who's this age or who lives in this place or who does this kind of thing. You know, you, you see tribes all over the place. Well, the Christian has one supreme tribe, and that's Jesus. He's the head of our tribe. He's the one with whom we identify. And anytime we let other identities supersede that identity with Christ, we have forgotten who we are. And the fear that there are Christians today who are choosing the wrong kinds of identities to make superior in their lives. You know, when you have a hyphenated Christian, well, I'm a gay Christian. Are you a Christian or not? What's the first thing in your mind when you think about that? Well, I'm a Republican Christian. <laughs> or I'm a conservative Christian. What's the first thing that we identify with? Is it Christ? And so suffering comes because we are identifying with the Son of God. Now, suffering, of course, comes to everybody in this world. Nobody can escape suffering. Children die. Spouses die, parents die, jobs are lost, your health goes, you have pain. All that kind of suffering comes, no matter how powerful you are. We look at uh, someone like President Xi Jinping of China. Here's the dictator of the biggest country in the world. You know, he's getting older at the same rate you and I are getting older. He's getting closer to death, just like you and I are getting closer to death. That kind of suffering is part of this world. It's because we're living in a fallen world. It's common to humanity. Christians, however, are suffering because of our identity with our Heavenly Father. Now, with the suffering that's typical of this world, do we bear it with patience? When we are facing suffering, do we bear it with patience? Do we bear it with trust in our Heavenly Father? When there's pain, when there's loss and sorrow, whom, to whom do we turn? Do we medicate ourselves just like the world does? Try and turn our thoughts away from the, the pain? Or do we think about what God has promised and live by his promises? Well, if everybody suffered, and certainly the one who suffered the most, and we've got to hold on to this, the one who suffered the most is the Lord Jesus himself. Nobody suffered like him. Well, just a second. He didn't know what it's like to have a foot amputated. I don't know what it's like to hang on a cross and bear the sins of my people. What would it be like 
to have in holiness, being absolutely holy with never having sin, what it would be like to have one person's sin laid upon you, much less the sin of all his people. And to so pay the penalty for their sin that his people are free. <laughs> what would that be like? So no one has ever suffered like the Lord Jesus Christ, not just the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet, but the sin bearing and to put up with his disciples <laughs> for those years. No one ever suffered like Jesus. So suffering is something that is due to us because we're in a fallen world, something that's going to come to us if we identify with Christ. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For, they so, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those words are just so powerful and so against the grain. <laughs> Blessed to be suffering. Suffering for righteousness' sake. And as Pastor Andrew mentioned, we're not masochists. We don't do this because we like pain. We do it because we identify with Jesus Christ and say that he's more than anything in the world to us. When you're a Christian, you've got to face it. You've got a target on your back because the enemy of God's is your enemy. He's going to chase down every Christian he can and persecute and cause to suffer in some way to make us turn aside. And it will be different in every person's life, but he's... he's uh, seeking whom he may devour. So belonging to Christ means that as you begin to live for him, uh, you begin to experience suffering. Now there's something specific that Paul mentions. Look at verse 16. They were suffering, uh, Paul and Silas were suffering, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Now what's that all about? It was the preaching of Christ that became the source of suffering. That doesn't seem right. The preaching of Christ is good news. It's good to hear about Jesus. It's good to tell people. But you may experience that when you start to talk to someone and they cut you off because they don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. You may have family members like that where you start a conversation, you bring up Christ, and it's dead air on the phone. Because <laughs> they don't want to hear the good news. Paul says, the Jews were hindering them from speaking the gospel. The Jews were jealous. They were jealous because the Gentiles were being converted at a faster rate to Christ than they were being converted to Judaism because Judaism required them to become Jews. If you're going to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised. You had to start obeying the whole law. And Paul said, no, the gospel is not that. 
The gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He fought to keep people from having to be circumcised in order to become fully Christian. So the Jews hindered them. They stood in their way. They blocked the path so that they couldn't continue to preach Christ. Suffering for Christ is bearing reproach because you identify with him, his work, his words, his commandments. When you do things that you do because you are a Christian, when you do things that mean other people notice and they say, why are you doing that? You used to be so much fun to be around. Now you are a jerk. You are no fun at all. You're identifying with Christ, maybe. Hopefully, you're not being a jerk. Oh, you're identifying with Christ so that people see you want to obey his commands rather than the pleasures of this world or following the dictates of the crowd. Hebrews 13 has this wonderful passage toward the end. It says, so Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the gate, excuse me, outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. See, the, the writer to the Hebrews is telling us, let's identify with Christ. And that means being cast out of the city, <laughs> not having a place anymore in the city of man because your city is now the city of God because you belong there, because your worldview now takes in a different picture of the world than you had before. And that changes how everything looks to you. When you have that new identity in Christ and you begin to identify with him and think like him because you're being changed by his word, you're showing out, you're showing forth to the world the reason for your hope because you're looking for something that ends in a different way. And, and that end has two different directions. You see, for those who don't believe in Jesus. The end is an extinguishing of every pleasure that they've ever known. You know, the way it's put is those who are apart from Christ better enjoy this world because it's the only heaven they're ever going to know. They're never going to know anything better than this world. And if this world is miserable, if this world is terrible and you're suffering in this world and you don't know Christ, then this is just the beginning of the suffering that you're going to experience under God's judgment forever and ever. The end for the unbeliever is described, as Paul said, wrath has come upon them at last. Now, we don't know exactly why he's saying that about the Jews. We want to think about this. Paul's not anti-Semitic. Paul's a Jew himself. The 12 disciples are all Jewish. Jesus is a Jew. So Paul's not anti-Semitic. He talks about his, his love for his countrymen uh, in Romans extensively. But he does say a lot. 
you got to look at this and, and think about what he says here. See what he says? Verse 15, the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. So, so you've got four things, basically. They kill the Lord Jesus. This is a terrible thing because it's been used against the Jews. It's used as a blood libel uh, during the uh, Middle Ages. You killed the uh, Lord Jesus. But uh, actually, in Matthew 27... Uh, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man, Jesus' blood. See to it yourselves. Here's the chilling word. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. <clears throat> chilling, chilling words. And the uh, the apostles, Peter, doesn't, and now Peter's a Jew. He doesn't say, he doesn't mind saying, you killed Jesus by the hands of godless men. He says it twice, chapter th- 2 and chapter 3. So, yeah, it's, it's provable. It's provable that they killed Jesus and they killed the prophets. Jesus himself talked about that in Matthew. He said, your fathers killed the prophets. <laughs> you know, you think you're righteous, but your fathers killed the prophets and you, you buried the prophets in these tombs. But... You despise the prophets because you didn't listen to them any more than, than uh, your fathers did. You didn't welcome me when I came, Jesus says. And certainly they hindered the, uh, the preaching of the gospel. So there are three charges that are provable. But that's, there's that one thing that's kind of sticking in your mind. The Jews are not pleasing God. Why would Paul say that? The Jews are not pleasing God. They're the covenant people. (laughs) Because they didn't believe the covenant. Because they rejected the covenant. Because the covenant head, Jesus had come, and they didn't embrace him. It's because of what they said about Jesus, what they didn't say about Jesus, what they did, what they didn't do with Jesus. Jesus Christ became the turning point. That's how he is. He's a turning point for every person in this world. What do they do with the Son of God? If God comes to this world and lives in this world, takes on our sin, what do we do with him? You can't ignore it. The greatest thing that's ever happened in human history, that God came to earth and became man, you can't ignore it. And of course, we know that many people do, and that's why the wrath of God comes upon them, and it will come upon anybody. But what about the end for the believer? The Old Testament has that imagery of the cup of God's wrath being filled. God's wrath being filled to the brim in in telling Moses about going to the promised land, he said, uh, or Abraham, I'm getting confused here, 
But he said, anyway, <laughs> the wrath of the Amorites is not yet complete. The wrath of um, the cup of my wrath is not filled up yet. So the Old Testament has pictures of the cup of God's wrath. Book of Revelation does too. Here's the amazing thing. You know who drinks the cup of God's wrath for God's people? God himself, the Son of God, drinks the cup of the wrath. It came upon him, so it doesn't come upon me. That's the end of suffering. So suffering in this world for the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ, whatever that means, however that shows itself, how can it compare with the Son of God having freed me so that now I can be a child of God? Paul tells us the Thessalonians this so that they can endure. That's what we want to do. We want to endure. We don't want to give out part of the way. He says some very encouraging words to them in 2 Thessalonians that we might get to. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In this, he says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus himself is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will also suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Wow. Jesus coming back. Jesus coming back to be marveled at. Not wrath poured out. That wrath was taken care of on the cross. But to be marveled at and loved. So what's the suffering of this world? Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Is that, is that worth it? I hope you think so. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to suffer as Christians, for we have other sufferings in this world, other trials in this world that make it difficult sometimes to go from day to day. But help us to, um, trusting in you, uh, look for a deliverance day, a day of joyful um, uh, rest and relief when Jesus comes back. Uh, help us to endure uh, everything for the name of Christ, identifying with him in a day when other things could claim our identity. We want to be his. Please help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.